You're listening to the Global Sales Leader Podcast with your host, Jason Cooper. This week's episode is about sales for non-techies and how to equip sales teams to adapt to the hard coding skill or whatever it might be. Keep it simple, stupid. That's what I always say. It's with Sophia Mativa. Hopefully I pronounced her surname correctly. You're going to enjoy this. It's slightly different to the normal ones, but uh, that's the way it rolls with these episodes. Enjoy this one. And we're live to the world. So hello, good morning, good evening, and good afternoon. And wherever you are listening to this wonderful podcast, the Global Sales Leader podcast, I'm your host, Jason Cooper. I'm a sales strategist, sales coach. I help deliver better results by connecting people with people skills and developing long-term relationships uh, with businesses and people within that businesses and help them exceed at what they do so you're very welcome i'm also very hot today i've got a wonderful guest today and uh, uh she is sophia welcome thank you very much jason i'm also boiling hot in london today but yeah. it's great to be having this conversation i think the work that you're doing is just god's work because we're all selling right at work we're selling to our friends we're selling to our partners we're selling we're always trying to convince somebody to come over to our point of view so the Absolutely. better we learn to do it i think the better lives we all need i think that that's absolutely true so i i do believe that every single person's a salesperson whether they think they are or not i think the the name sales has been like it's been polluted in uh, probably the 80s and the the 90s by uh, the cliche uh, double selling um, uh, window sellers and secondhand cars, dealerships and all of that sort of stuff. I think maybe people in the past have been burnt, but now it's all professional. So many people in tech, so many people in Microsoft and LinkedIn and all of those massive global companies, they're all selling. So professionalism and education has gone up in, in the world the way I look at it. A little bit about yourself because we're going to be talking about tech in a, in a short while. So, um, look, you have a wonderful accolade uh, and you you've have a good background. Uh, and what you do now is tech for non-techies. I'm looking away because I'm looking at my notes. So that's what I'm doing. Um <laughs> And, you know, you've contributed to the Financial Times, The Guardian, Forbes, Entrepreneurship and Technology and hosts top rated tech for non-techie uh, podcasts as well, which is good. And lectured in Chicago Booth and London Business School and so uh, Techstars Accelerator Program. I, I've actually met the, the leader of Techstars in Dublin uh, about four years ago, I seem to remember. So as... What you basically do, and I'm probably going to get this, hopefully get some of it right, is explain technical language that m would make sense to non-technical people. Look, let's elaborate a little bit further on that, Sophia. If you can ex describe what you do so we can help our audience and then we can go from there. Mm -hmm. Well, hello, audience. 
So at Tech for Non-Techies, we help smart, non-technical professionals understand enough about technology and digital transformation in order to succeed in today's economy, whether that is by leading digital innovation in a large company or building your own tech-enabled business or investing in one. And what I'm seeing for people who are non-technical professionals there's this tendency to kind of think that there's this tech world and it's just passed you by and it's not for you. And then you end up thinking, well, in order for me to learn about it, I need to take a coding bootcamp. And, you know, most people would rather scratch their eyes out. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and what I want to say is that actually, if you want to do that, if that floats your boat, go for it. But there are yeah. other ways of achieving the same thing. What you need to understand is you need to have an understanding of some common concepts and you need to have a common language but you don't actually need to completely transfer all of your knowledge you don't need to completely transform your career uh, in order to participate in the tech boom mm -hmm. i totally agree and look i'm relatively technically enabled but i'm not a coder i i just like to keep things simple uh in, in so that people can understand and especially when you're in a technical technical environment but you need to explain this to vcs you need to have acronym free zone you need to have everything else but i'm talking about that but i'm also my other question is going to fire straight in at you is what made you do what you do what what were the key steps along the way to saying this is what i want to do um but these are the anchor points along the way mm -hmm. that made me uh in, aspire to doing what i do now well, actually, my own experiences of fear and loathing as I was transitioning into tech. So I began my career by working in the media in London, and then I worked in private equity. Because when I left university, uh, all the you know cool kids, all the smart kids were going into consulting, media, and banking. So I did media, and then I did private equity. And then this whole tech boom happened, which basically nobody told me about. And I was like, oh, oh, no, that, that's, that's where the fun is. That's where the innovation is. And also, that's where the money is. Yeah, of course. All right. Okay. What do you do when you want to transition your career, but you don't really know what you're supposed to do? You go to business school. <laughs> so I went to one of the top business schools in the world, Chicago Booth. That's where Barack Obama was teaching before he went into politics. And so I get there and I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to do something in tech. I don't know what, but I know that's where I want to go. And, you know, entrepreneurship is, is so exciting. So I started working on a tech-enabled business. And my business school, Chicago with has one of the top accelerators in the US. It's where Grubhub and Braintree came out of. So I was like, I'm definitely going to go there. And then, you know, success is guaranteed. So we get a team together. We actually get into the accelerator. We do quite well. But the thing is, we're all smart business people, but none of us understand a single thing about technology. Like, we don't know what an API is. What is mm -hmm. a tablet? What happens to the back end? What is a server? Like, we don't know this stuff because nobody comes out of the womb knowing this stuff. So I did manage to actually raise some money from investors and create a business and create products that have been used by thousands of people around the world, and we've had a lot of accolades. But that whole process as a non-technical founder in tech, A, it was extremely difficult 
because there wasn't anything like tech for non-techies. There mm -hmm. wasn't this kind of translation mechanism to translate business to technology. And what I found was that if I wanted to speak to developers, essentially the only offers I had was, well, take a coding course. So I started taking a bunch of coding courses. I was doing computer science online from Stanford. After doing my MBA and being $180,000 in debt, also, also doing this online course, and like it, Jason, I'm telling you, it was not a happy time in my life. And eventually, what I learned was that in order to succeed in the tech world, what you need to do is you need to co-create with technical professionals. Yep. And that is the case whether you're a founder, whether you're working in sales, whatever you're doing. Essentially, you need to be a good, educated team member. But you don't need to completely learn how to do the job that the, that the other people do. Mm -hmm. And once I understood this, I started, I was like, oh, my God, epiphany. So I started writing about this in Forbes and those articles on what non-technical professionals need to know about tech. They became talks. London Business School asked me to teach a course, which, you know, you don't say to that. And out of that, Tech for Non-Techies, the podcast and the company were born. And essentially now that company is scaling and we, we work with non-technical founders, but also we work with heads of innovation at companies. And also one of the things that I really love that we're doing is we're also working with people who want to transition into a career in tech. But in general, it's all about smart non-techies, essentially people people like you, people like me, yeah, who yeah. have an understanding of business. We are not stupid. We're also willing to learn. But it's a question of teaching them the relevant stuff in a time-efficient way so they yep. can get on with their lives and their careers. Yeah. It's not getting bogged down with the detail. Like, I, I think a lot of time you don't necessarily need to know it all because you're not programming. So why do I need to know that? I might need to know a couple of the acronyms along the way and go, well, I've got a rough idea about that. But you hire the best so they can do the necessary uh, work and the designing. Uh, like I spend ages on canvas sometimes and I'm going, I'm sucking four hours of my life doing that when I don't actually need to be doing that. Uh, I can give that to someone else to do where I can focus in on, I can do it, but I'd rather focus in on adding value forward to people's lives in what I love to do, as opposed to going, I do that and I do that and I do that and create a website and whatever else. So how can we best adapt um, our core skills? Uh, we are talking about sales and we are talking about the Global Sales Leader podcast here. So how can we adapt that for sales people and sales leaders to make their job more efficient? Well, you know, it's funny you say that because literally yesterday, a new client uh, joined Tech Front Techies and he works in procurement. So I know that for your sales audience, you you have all sorts of thoughts and feelings about people in procurement. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so this gentleman, he has worked in procurement all of his life, but never in tech procurement. And now he's joined a tech company. And so essentially he needs to review contracts. And he says that 50% of them are about technology businesses and 50% of them are non-tech providers. And then he also needs to essentially consult the C-suite. 
And when we were working out essentially how he can assess whether something is going to be worth it for the company, the way we boiled it down to was basically money and love, the two things humanity really needs. So I said to him that whenever you have a technology that is being pitched to you, and of course you don't understand that that's normal, you can ask two questions. How is this going to impact customer experience? That's the love part. Yeah. What is this technology going to do to make our users, to make our customers happy? And then the money part is, what is this technology going to do to make us money or to save us money? Yeah. And so in all of this, you know, as a non-techie, you can perfectly understand why customer satisfaction is an important thing or yep. why saving money or making money is an important thing. The tech stack, you don't actually need to know what's in there. Okay, you know, if you learn some stuff, you will be able to probe it a little better. But essentially, technology is about solving a problem, a problem that you understand. And essentially, what problems are we all solving, Jason? Yeah. They're all problems about love or money. Yeah. And I also think it's, uh, as you said, it's also about time. People want to value their time as well, because that, that saves you money as well and streamlines the process. Ironically enough, I was with a client yesterday and uh, we were chatting, uh, meeting face to face. And while I was talking, I was going on my computer and taking some notes. Then I was using a piece of artificial intelligence to create some content around the context of what he was saying. So I'm doing this because it makes my life a lot quicker. Uh, I just press a button and it creates around the words and the phrases that I'm using. It just creates a whole thing. I go, bang, got that. Okay, well, we'll work on that and we work in this area. And it was going, well, I'm really surprised that you're using that. I said, but I'm using it because it saves me time. It, sa it makes me more efficient then I can spend more time focusing on you and helping you solve your problems. And I think that's wonderful, uh, using lots and lots of things. But I do think there's a sometimes we get, uh, I like shiny objects, meaning uh, I go, oh, I like that, I like that, and I never use them. But there's a certain few pieces of technology that I love to use. So um, while I'm thinking that, I've got another question that I need to ask is, you came up with the idea, and you're obviously getting people involved, which is also uh, a really wonderful tool to have to enabling others. So you're using a lot of your persuasive uh, uh, linguistics and language that you use to, so what do you do when you do that? Because uh, it's fascinating to understand how you influence, persuade people to get on board with what you're doing. So, you know, it's interesting because I actually had to overcome a lot of my own objections. And I think that you and your audience will really understand that the first person and the hardest person to convince is yourself. And once that's done, then, you know, you can go sell pretty much anything to anyone. So first, when I was just literally only giving talks to non-technical founders and I was literally just giving talks in, you know, in a WeWork in London, yeah. I was thinking, do I really know what I'm talking about? <laughs> well, I mean, I have achieved stuff and people are coming and they are paying me and they are getting results. So I think it's all right. And, um, and then the founders course was essentially born because people wanted it. And so once I overcame that objection in myself, that was that was quite that wasn't that difficult. 
What was more difficult is the course that we now have for corporates and for corporate leaders, which is called How to Speak Tech for Leaders. Because yeah. essentially I was thinking, well, what, what specific things am I going to say? Okay, you learned this stuff, and then what will you do? And I was really struggling with this, honestly. And then what I realized was that actually what my core belief is, is that in today's innovation economy, you simply have to know these concepts. It's yeah. a bit like you need to learn how to read. You need to learn how to add up. You know, your yeah. math teacher is not going to tell you, okay, if you learn your times tables, you will then be able to do X, Y, Z. And essentially, when I was trying to work out, okay, well, what purpose is it? Like, what are, what are people going to be able to get out of it? I kind of got lost. And to be honest, I wasn't really able to convince anybody. But once I realized that actually it's not a learn this and then you'll be able to do the specific thing, it is once I realized in myself that what I genuinely believe and what I genuinely see is that you simply cannot have a good, interesting career in today's economy unless you understand things like what is agile, what is design thinking, what does digital transformation actually mean in practice? Like, not just random words, but like, what happens? Who does it? What are the perspectives of data scientists? Unless you know this stuff, you're basically illiterate. Yeah. And, you know, if you're illiterate, let's just take that extreme example. If you're illiterate, you can still do things. You can still, you know, you can still do, you can still perform some sort of labor and you can still get paid. Yeah. But of course, your opportunities are going to be much, much narrower. And so there's a slightly long answer to your question. But for me, it was really taking the time to understand what I think. Yep. And once I realized what my conviction is, then it didn't feel like sales. Because now I literally say, of course, my opinion is not objective. Like. That is true. You don't yeah. have to believe me, but this is what I think. And this is why I think it. And literally since like after that, the sales started coming in. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a matter of getting over the imposter syndrome, which is the self-talk and the self-doubt. So once you understand and you recognize that, you go, well, okay. You start to think about what others are thinking as opposed to what you're thinking. And once you understand that you're more of an expert than you think you are, it's all perception then. And it's how you come across as an expert and you come across uh, accountable and credible in front of other people. And then they see you as the expert for them to come to you. So I think that's all part and parcel of uh, persuasion uh, engineering. It's actually going in front of people and, so these are my thoughts. These are my ideas. But this is my um, accreditation. This is what I've learned behind me. Uh, you, you, you go into Chicago and this, that, and the other. Add so much more power and worth behind you, plus the experience and everything else. That's what I find uh, with the stuff that I do now. It's, it's your own ideas, your own credibility, but it's also the people that you aligned yourself with gives you and raises up your profile, exactly what you've done here. So who who along the way has mentored you into doing what you've done? 
So one of the people I really, really look up to who's actually an exquisitely brilliant uh, salesperson who is a mentor of mine is Emma Sinclair. She is the founder of a company called Enterprise Alumni, and she also IPO'd her first company before she was 30. So she's she's got an MBE or MBE, and uh, she has a regular column in the Telegraph, and she is just a hustler. You know, uh, when I kind of, you know, we all have those days when you think I'm working so hard and something should have happened. And, you know, why isn't the world giving me what I want? Like We all have those days. And literally, I speak to Emma for five minutes and I'm like, okay, I can do this. I've got this. She's literally like a cup of espresso. So you can actually follow her on Twitter. Uh, she's, got a, she's got a really good Twitter profile. And uh, she also writes for The Telegraph. And I do think that for, for me, seeing somebody who, ident- who I identify with in some way, that has been more helpful than maybe some people who are also brilliant, but I just don't see a commonality with them. Like Emma lives in London. Emma and I know a few people in common. Uh, she's also a non-technical female founder in tech. So I literally look at her and I'm like, I want to be like her when I grow up. Well, that's uh, uh, you also have to align yourself. Uh, it's the same old thing is you align yourself with people that will bring you up and you align yourself with positive people that are going to inspire you and motivate you. And to, uh, that's what I do as well, is you get you surround yourself up with people that is going to um, challenge you, but also make sure that's giving you the right food for thought as well so you can actually go, okay, well, I have the ideas, I have everything else. So, yeah, let's go out and do it. And, uh, you know, you've done it. So what's, what, what do you think of the your character traits or what do you aspire as the character traits you just suggested your friend there that are success or have the elements of being successful in leadership and like you're involved with this as well so what are your character traits and then have a look at others as well so in general i think that i really like people i really like connecting with people i really like understanding what makes them tip and there are there are good sides to that and there are bad sides to that. You know, this is why Technontiki started working with founders because the founder journey is so emotional, as you yeah. know. It is so oh, yes. insecurity and passion. And then you add the tech element. And even though I was literally just talking to them about the technology and the digital bit, I was just like, I feel you and I just want to hug you and I want to make it all right. And... Now that we're scaling to bigger companies, I was thinking, oh, my God, am I going to have to let go of this emotional thing that I do and this emotional thing that I really love? Um, I've decided that I'm not going to. And, you know, if maybe that puts some more kind of corporate straitjacket people off, then we're not meant to be together because that's not going to be a good, genuine relationship. But at the end of the day, corporates are made of people, people who have souls. And so this is what I'm good at. I'm good at this human to human, I get you, you get me connection. And once we establish this human connection, then all the business stuff, that's just logistics, you know, that's just a process. But I think the human to human, for me, that's the most important thing. 
Well, you know, there are there is the other side to that is that you can end up kind of so much falling in love with a person or they end up falling in love with you so much that you actually then need to say, okay, you know, this was a fabulous meeting, but we haven't actually achieved anything. (laughs) And this is why when you have a character trait that you know, you then need to essentially mitigate it. So for example, I know that because I have this tendency to really want to connect with people, I will need to bring an agenda and I'll need to send them this agenda that, you know, these are these three points. I'm going to teach you these three points. And if you learn these three points and I'm comfortable that you have learned these three points and you know how to implement them in your company, then, you know, then we can talk about your mom, your boyfriend, your, your dog, whatever it is, but we need to make sure that the agenda gets covered. So there are, you know, there's the yin and yang to everything. But what about you, Jason? What what character traits do you think drive you? Um, yeah, that's a good question. And it's trust, uh, empathy, focus. And for me, I like to see a little sparkle in people's eyes once they mm. get it. Oh, I love that. Once it's they- missed so much during the pandemic. You know, being being in a an actual classroom, like with my MBA students, and just seeing how they walk in and they think, oh, I don't know, this is all going to go over my head. And then they learn new things and opportunities open up to them and they feel like the world is bigger. It's literally just better than any drug. And yeah, you just- yeah. <laughs> it's like eureka moment. So I've always thought that anyway, and something that I've, I love to do getting inside people's head, but helping them explore based around asking them questions, but also sitting in their shoes and hopefully it resonates back as well. So lots of different feelings, but it, it's got to be built on trust and uh, we've got to be congruent with everything that we say comes out of our mouth, but our body language as well. That is also really awesome. So like you run a podcast as well. So if you were interviewing you, what would you actually say to yourself when, if you were interviewing you, yourself? Oh, wow. Well, I guess my first question would be, what do you wish you had known when you first started transitioning into tech? And the reason why I asked this, uh, I would say this is because I had wasted so much time and so much money, but more importantly, so much stress and insecurity on just doing things that A, didn't need to be done at all, like yeah. taking a, an online coding course from Stanford, not necessary. I literally spent three hours coding a little blue square into a little black square. Why, Jason? Um, but also another thing is that I do think that the insecurity and shame part is a really important part that a lot of smart, non-technical professionals feel when we start getting into the tech world. And Mm -hmm. we then try to overcompensate by trying to learn all of the jargon and taking all sorts of unnecessary courses and essentially diminishing our own value and essentially kind of thinking, oh, my previous experience doesn't count. My previous experience counts. I worked at a private equity firm when I have an MBA from Chicago. Yeah. It counts. But when I went into this whole new world, I just forgot about every single achievement I'd ever had. And I see 
smart non-technical professionals, when they start participating in digital for the first time, it's like they forget all of the brilliant stuff that they've actually already done. And yeah. because they forget that, they then end up losing their confidence, which means that they don't put their hand up as much. You know, they, they're not as convinced in making the sale because they don't believe in themselves. And then it yeah. just becomes a doom spiral. Yeah, it, it does tend to do do that. So what other question would you ask yourself? <laughs> um, another question I would ask myself is uh, probably on uh, how to how to work with technical professionals and how to hire them and also how to fire them. Yeah, um, yeah. Because, and, and you know, I'm not saying that I have all of the answers, but I have more answers now than I did before. And, um, you know, here it's one of these things that if you are working in a tech-enabled business, or for example, if you're an investor, and you are an angel investor or you're a venture capitalist or if you're working in a large company and you've decided to embark on an innovation project somebody somewhere will have to hire some developers mm -hmm. you might have to be the person who signs off the fee so how do you do that uh what i would say is if you're non-technical just get a technical advisor to help you. So essentially, you need to do some of the interviewing, you need to do some of the questioning, but also just acknowledge that there is a, you know, if there is a technical interview, if there is a test, if there's a tech test, you can't assess whether that person is doing a good job or not. So literally, you could just pull up a friend who is maybe a CTO in a company and just say, hey, I'll pay you a day rate can you just interview these five candidates? Yeah, and literally yeah. paying your tech friend one for one day rate is then going to save you so much money and headache down the line. Mm -hmm. And also it's going to make you look credible to the people that you're hiring. Absolutely. I, I totally concur with that. So just a food for thought, actually, is because I, I do this a, a lot, but it's... Uh, I, I sit back and close my eyes and I go into a trance-like state. But what I'm actually doing is I'm visualizing a f future or I'm designing something in my head or it's, it's a meditative state where I can actually see things for what they actually are. So if you had a quiet space to enable you to rationalize your thoughts, what, what is that and how would you use that and how do you use that if you use it at all in, in that way? Well, so I have worked with coaches over the years and literally all of these practices, they have completely changed my life because I do think that when you're building something and you know what I'm building, it's new. It's not a coding school. It's not an innovation consultancy. And so essentially, in order for me to be, to teach the relevant things and in order for me to be convinced in, in what I'm doing and to actually help people achieve things, I do need to have that quiet time to test mm -hmm. ideas and, and to really kind of let the muse come. So um, I now have a coach and we work on something that's called thought work. So basically yeah. when you are working out kind of what, what is the noise in your head, which thoughts do you want to keep, which thoughts do you not want to keep? And that's really helpful kind of for the psychological aspect of sales and running a business. I mean, anybody who 
uh, wants to discover thought work. There are so many podcasts out there. Uh, there's one by Cara Lowenthal, which I love. It does have a curse word in it, so I'm not sure mm -hmm. if I'm going to say it. But Cara oh, Lowenthal, uh, Lowenthal has, a, has a great podcast on that. Yep. Um, but essentially, I also think that you can apply those same tools, those same thought work tools, to then working out your ideas. Because mm -hmm. as I was saying, the, in my experience, the most important and hardest person to sell to is yourself. Absolutely. And so I think, you know, literally bef before I create a new program or before I launch a new product, I literally do this thought, thought work process by myself. So I write out what I'm thinking. I literally poke arguments. It's literally like the Senate. It's like the Roman mm -hmm. Senate happening yeah. at my desk with myself. And then out of it, comes something eventually no not not straight away like recently i was working on a new thing and it took me literally every single day i was doing probably about half an hour of this kind of thought work stuff to come to something that i believed and and to come to something that i thought was coherent but once yeah. i got there then that's it then it becomes unstoppable Absolutely. If you've ever read uh, Think Rich, Grow Rich uh, by Napoleon Hill, which is written oh, yeah. over 100 years ago, he interviewed the most uh, powerful people 100 years. And in chapter three, they talk about the inner coaches that they speak to. And they have a conversation internally in their mind uh, with their coaches. Uh, and that's a practice that I've been taught uh, about eight years ago, having uh, your inner dialogue with Fundamentally, it's with yourself, but you're having these conversations about challenges, issues, opportunities, or whatever outcomes that you want to get over. But it's a wonderful path. And all the people that I've interviewed over the last year, uh, 70, 80 people, they all say the same thing. Success is a habit, but you also have to have that vision and the internal dialect that with yourself to get it external as well. So that communication... It's, it's your own personal people skills and that breeds other uh, people skills to other people as well. But, you know, today's been a, a wonderful conversation. I really appreciate that. How can people find out more about you? So they can listen to the TechCon and Techies podcast, which is one of my favorite things to do. Or if you're on Instagram, just go to TechCon and Techies or follow me on Twitter, which is Sophia Matveva on Twitter. Awesome. Like, I really appreciate it. And thank you so much for coming on my show today. You're listening to the Global Sales Leader Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Cooper. If you like this and you want to, if you want to give it a five-star rating, I'd be absolutely honored uh, on iTunes. Uh, it's also available on Spotify and all the others. I also put this out on YouTube as well. So you can actually see us as well as hear us. Uh, however you want to do that. So I appreciate that and have a wonderful day. Thank you. You've been listening to this episode of the Global Sales Leader Podcast, episode 28. If you like this and you like other episodes, we try and make it different every time. Collect it and unusual. It's all about sales at the headline. So if you like what you hear, please share it with your friends. Uh, get a five-star rating. Be very much appreciative.